I'm Billy McGee, and you're listening to 18 Opportunities, a podcast on golf from the perspective of history, culture, science, and evolution. Together with my co-host, Drew Tambling, we explore why we love golf. For every round on the links is 18 little games, 18 fresh starts, 18 opportunities to shake off the failures of the past and embrace the good fortune of the present. Today's episode is inspired by my loophole rangefinder made here in Portland, Oregon, American craftsmen making innovative battle proven optics for the world's most resilient golfers. Hashtag be relentless. One of the reasons I believe golf is a game worthy of appreciation, worthy of dedication, and, and worthy of admiration is that golf is a unique game in just the annals of sports. And sports is a way in which we as humans organize ourselves, compete with one another, and sometimes even settle conflicts or create conflict, as the case may be. And golf is unique in the way that it is a target game. And uh, the way I want to frame this right now is to talk a little bit about golf as a target game or a target sport, because a lot of people will come and say, and, and this is, Drew, where I'd like you to you know chime in, is they'll say, look, golf isn't even a sport. It's not even... I mean, how do you even call it a sport? And you're somebody again who played. I think I I was probably one of those people. Yeah. What did you think? Like, if, I mean, I was a, 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 a like a fine tuned athlete for a large part of my life, and I would never have considered golf to be a sport. But I I like hobble around some days. So it's like I walked around in my Letterman jacket in the high school hallway with totally. my golf thing. You would have just been. Dude, I went to college to play football and baseball. I was like a two sport athlete, and yeah. golf was like. Like I watched the kids that were on the golf team in high school and I was like, (laughs) yeah, okay, bro. I mean, that was definitely (laughs) me. Call yourself an athlete. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was proud. I had all my letters on my jacket. I mean, we were division champions. I'm not that old. I think that like Tiger was coming of age when I was in high school. Yeah, that's interesting. So I was, so Tiger's actually, you're younger than me. So Tiger, I was pre-Tiger and- But the legend of Tiger wasn't what it is when I was in high school in 2002. 2002 yeah. yeah my roommate in law school elvis padrone cuban-american knows more about baseball in fact he should come on to do a special baseball episode we're going to talk about baseball a little bit more when we start to talk about um uh, on the uh, fourth hole on uh golf as a ball game we're not going to talk about the astros and the cardinals um not well he will um astros are getting smoked in this world <laughs> series right now can't yeah. believe it Well, Elvis would talk about sports, and he said golf isn't a sport because golf doesn't have defense. That was his. That was basically. I probably would have would have shared that sentiment. Yeah. Twenty years ago, but now I know better. Right. Well, and I think. Well, let me ask you first. Why do you think you know better? Like, what what has changed about it from your perspective, being someone who played? Well, you were in the College World Series. I well, mean, what you played high level, be, uh, high level What is there supposed to be, a sports. goalie on the green? Like, the course is the defense. 
Yeah, the course is the defense. In fact, that's going to be whole number two. We're going to talk about that. The course is the defense. Nature is the defense. Weather is the defense. Right. And you can never prepare for any of those, especially if you're just going to a random golf club. You don't know what lurks around the next hole. So let's talk about the origin of games and the origin of sport, because I did a little bit of research on it. And the more I did the research, the more I found it actually really fascinating. And in terms of how golf is a sport, and also how it's connected to other sports, and also how all sports are really connected to just the human condition, and as I'll go into further, you know, competition and ultimately warfare. So there are, if you were to study physical... I know, it's getting awesome now. (laughs) Warfare. This is where we're slipping into my hardcore (laughs) history. You said that, you said warfare. (laughs) We're going to dip into my Dan Carlin. This is the kind of mashup between... But it's uh, true. When you first told me that, I was like, dude, are you okay? I know we're in Portland, but what are you smoking, man? (laughs) Yeah. But there's like, the more and more that I've gotten to know you, the more and more, and that's why I'm here, because I actually do buy into this, and there is like this kind of caveman-esque aspect to golf that doesn't exist in other sports. Yeah. And And, and it resonates with me now. So let's talk about it from this aspect of like, so if you were to go get a physical education major, you probably already know this. And there are kind of five core types of games. And almost all sports can be put into these five categories. The first one is, I'm just going to call it individual achievement. But individual achievement is essentially like running, high jumping. Sure. They would like test you how many push-ups it's, it's and pull-ups basic, yeah, and, it's, and sit-ups you can do in a it, minute, that kind of exactly. thing. Exactly. You go to the original Olympia. It was a baseline, too. Yeah, it, I was a 90s kid, and you were largely a 90s, 80s kid, too, right? Yeah. And there was like your gym teacher would test you on all of these, like your individual mile times. And yeah, the presidential like, fitness test. I wonder what that's like now. Does any of that they stuff They canceled exist? it. I oh. found that out about five years ago. It's gone. No. Yeah. Why? To like make sure that kids don't get depressed and feel shitty. I'm guessing about they're still playing too much Fortnite. They can't do the push-ups <laughs> too anymore. Much Fortnite. Because <laughs> I was also not a video game guy, and I know a lot of golfers. Like you know, Tiger Woods video game was a big part of their experience. Golden Tee was maybe a little bit more for me in the bars. But bring it back. So five types of sports: individual achievements. This is like ancient Greek running. Javelin throw, discus throw, you know, it's basically sports that are measured by either time you're racing against someone or distance or height. It's really about prowess, physical prowess. And it is really, you know, as old as what it means to be human. It, you know, people were probably racing each other. When I was a kid, physical education, I felt like was there as like an introduction to lots of different physical activities in hopes that people would latch on to different things. Yeah. And, it, and it's cool that way. And Eventually, they teach other games. Now, I'm going to list the other four types, and then I'm going to break them down, and then we're going to talk a little bit about two specific ones, because I think that's the distinction where people say golf isn't a sport and you know football is, and that's we're going to use that as the kind of the baseline, because then we're going to go back in history where golf and football have a very, very close origin story. So with the other four games are melee games or invasion games so this is where you have two opposing teams each with their own territory where the goal of the game is to control a ball of some type and bring it across a line or into a goal of an opposing team all those football soccer basketball we're going to talk about ancient games like hurley shinty these are all games that are melee games American Indian games like stickball or what's later known as lacrosse. So you're saying like sports that 
mimic warfare it are like melee games. Well, and then there's target games. So target games are like bocce, golf, darts, horseshoes. These sure. are games where the points are scored, uh, hur- uh, uh, curling on the ice. Points are scored by having two teams that are trying to get close to reach a, a target, target, reach yeah. a target, and points are scored where there may be some element of defense, but for the most part, the action is all about taking the object and, and, and sending it to the target. Um, and then you've got these hybrid games, and the hybrid games are really kind of more modern. That, those are the ball and stick games. So those are uh, cricket, baseball, and games uh, that have, really those are the two core ball and stick games that or fielding games. And then you also have ball and net games. So this would be racquetball, tennis, squash, handball, all of like the ball and wall games where you're really going head to head against another person. Almost all of these games had two huge golden ages. One was in the 16th century and the second was in the 19th century. The origin of them was in the 16th century. And that was a really interesting time because it was kind of the end of like the Middle Ages and the beginning of the Enlightenment is really around the time when you begin to see more games. And really, I think it was a time of less warfare and more leisure. So people start playing more sports. In the 19th century, what you see is something similar. It's the rise of the industrial age. And there's, again, more opportunities for leisure. A lot of times of the upper classes had the opportunity to like now they wanted to create more rules and clubs. And so it was the rise of this kind of club-oriented games. But many of these games, especially the melee games, for example, are, are really ancient. I mean, going back to Roman times, ancient China, ancient Mesoamerica, you see games that have been played since really the beginning of antiquity in which there were two opposing teams and they were playing some type of lightly organized cream the carrier right i mean that was basically it and we've all played that when in recess <laughs> in like middle school someone's got it, like let's play football and if he's got it get him yeah who's got to get him yeah right and then no he's like my boy you can't get like i'll block you that's and, my guy yeah yeah that's my guy and so it devolves into the ancient games of football that was really much more of what it was about. In fact, they would play a lot of times between like towns and parishes. So it would be one town versus another. You know what's really interesting too is like different regions of the earth that are more or less secluded from mainland regions that develop their own forms of melee games. Yeah. And 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 actually a good example of that is stickball or American Indians would play uh, lacrosse. Now they would play with a ball and they would play Aussie with, rules. Yeah. And well, no, I no. This is actually lacrosse. I call it they. The American Indians call it stickball. Oh, so no. I kind of what like. What I'm saying re- is another example of that would be Aussie rules. Completely Aussie different. rules. What? Oh, uh, Australian football. Completely different game. I'm actually, to be honest with you, I did a lot of research, and there were a couple games that I didn't understand. One was Gaelic football, and one was Aussie rules football, and ah, I just dude. felt like both of those <laughs> were just sort of like kind so of maybe this. they're more ancient origins of the game because it's like it was very unclear to me having to understand lived, the difference between that and having lived in asia for, other and like rugby having lived in asia for a long time and making multiple trips over to to australia um i went to a rules uh, a rules match and they in, call in it Melbourne. rules yeah it's rules yeah it's it's aussie rules it's it's more or less like a combination of rugby american football and basketball the guys that play this sport, that excel at this sport, 
are monsters. Not like in the sense of like rugby or American football monsters. They're more like NBA players mixed with soccer players. Their endurance is crazy because they run like 10, 20 kilometers per match because they're oh, just wow. constantly running up and down this field like a soccer game. But there's tackling, there's throwing, there's kicking, there's goalposts. And the, the field is... Do they have a scrum like in rugby? I mean, I actually no. watched a rugby game as I did this research to actually, I was like, I need to at least watch Watched a lot of game. rugby while I was in, in Asia too. I mean, rugby is yeah. interesting. Rugby is, is, is there's element, you can tell the origin of American football when you watch rugby totally. because they've got the scrum and it's sort of like you're lining up. You're just missing the, the throwing, the forward. Well, ladder. you're missing and you're missing the huddle. You're missing yeah. like, well, they have a little bit of a huddle well, even actually, where they so hike it back. I mean, it's, the, it, you can see, I mean, I'm an American, so American football is sort of, I find to be, it, when you talk about it in terms of like the evolution of warfare, I feel like American football is like the evolution of the game of football or rugby raised to the level of like Napoleonic warfare. You know what's Where it's like organized in specialized totally, yeah. companies and, <laughs> you know, generals are in the back of the field, yeah. like, you know, and there's yeah, just yeah, yeah, mayhem yeah, yeah. and massive death. And it's, it's like a like, control tower. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's yeah. a completely controlled, like, trying to steal signals from the opposite, from the opposite. Yeah, and and um, and running with that is is to you know to kind of go into that about that was that was a core part of why melee games existed. They existed as warfare practice. Hey, by the way, uh-huh. this will help you understand rugby. If if you think of rugby in the in the sense of that it's related to American football, in American football, a play ends when the ball or the runner is on the ground. In rugby, the play begins when the person is on the ground that's the start of a play yeah i don't fully <laughs> grasp that but then but when does it end when does it end um that's in, a, it in rugby really have an when end. does it end it's uh when there's a change of possession or when the time expires or when somebody scores what i found really interesting about rugby actually i will say was watch this a little bit to understand it from golf because there's a similarity how rugby was exported by the the rise of the british empire so the British Empire totally. went throughout, um, especially in Southeast Asia, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, and rugby really was reinvented, especially by New Zealand, where the New Zealand natives and the, you know, what became <laughs> the New Zealanders of, of British New Zealanders, Kiwis. yeah, they all kind of came together yeah. and they created faster, more brutal and more coordinated rugby game and just the first time the New Zealanders were actually allowed to play against England, Scotland, Wales, they completely kicked ass except for the team from Wales. So the team from Wales was also considered like serious badasses. And I think they had like a final match where Wales was sort of like the underdog. You know, they basically just put all their angst against the British crown and we're just like, you dude, know, we're going to put it on the field and dude, do you know, your ass. Do you know which country has currently has the best rugby team? The Japanese team is like on a whole new level and they well, are like they may, the best team They in may the world. be innovating there. I mean, that's the thing. Like, that's what I think is amazing about sport. Golf has a huge history of this as it's expanded. When golf went from being a game in Scotland and England Uh, in Ireland and really made the big jump to America, that was really when golf kicked it into fourth and fifth gear. And I know that true purists will talk about Lynx golf in Scotland. 
And, you know, I grew up playing American golf, which was more inland golf and more trees. And and now that I'm out here in Oregon, I have the ability to play Bandon Dunes. Play every year there in a Ryder Cup match called the Oregon Coast Cup against team here in Portland. And we play against a team that comes out of, uh, so the team here in Portland comes out of East Moreland and now Waverly. And the team in San Francisco is out of the Olympic Club. And we meet on in the links and we play just like you would have done one to 200 years ago back in the day. And, and so we, we get the opportunity here in America to really take the game to new heights. And we're going to talk a little bit about that next. But I want to bring it back to the target game because target games are kind of unique. And while we spoke a lot about how a melee game is really important for teaching warfare, Target games were also a critical part of warfare. And so target shooting, specifically archery, was one of the most important disciplines. You could say javelin throwing from ancient Greece was their sort of artillery was throwing of javelins. But over time, um, you know, the bow has been used in tons of cultures and the bow is one of the fastest ways to actually raise an army because it's fairly inexpensive to equip uh, someone with a bow. It's relatively inexpensive to train them because it just takes a lot of practice. But what it doesn't take is armor and training. Yeah, and you start them young. And in fact, the original history of golf is known uh, from 1457 when King James of Scotland, who lived in Edinburgh Castle, uh, which is this amazing rocky castle on the cliffs of Scotland and the traditional sort of castle for, 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 the, for the king of that, of, the, of that northern area. And he passed an edict saying, golf and football must be utterly condemned and stopped. On Sundays or a period? No, all well, he said it must be utterly condemned and stopped, and that a pair of targets must be constructed near the parish churches, and shooting must be practiced each Sunday. Shooting as in bows. Right? Shooting as in so, bows. So quit doing all the, this golf and football. Uh, football nonsense. Right. Focus your attention because winter is coming. Yeah. And basically, in 1457, to put a little perspective, this was not the first time that football had been banned. So football had been banned in the past. 1346 was the first time football was mentioned and banned. And that was by the King of England. And it was also, and it was at the start of what was known as the Hundred Years' War. So by 1457, the Hundred Years' War is actually about over. And the Hundred Years' War was a war that went between England and France for control of the French crowns because really these royal families had a lot of overlapping, you know, intermarriages and they were basically like, you know, wanted to be the king of the world, very much like the Game of Thrones. And in fact, as much as I wanted to sort of say like this, King James II, like, you know, what a stick in the mud, like banning golf, like what is he thinking? I did a little history about him though, and I actually can feel a little bit of forgiveness about him. So um, I think it's relevant only to talk about it. Uh, so when he was, uh, his father, King James I, was assassinated in front of him when he was eight years old, stabbed in an assassination attempt by his uncle. 
His mother was wounded in the attack, but she was able to escape. Actually, I think they he was murdered, six at the time. Murdered by the uncle? Yeah, murdered in his king in his castle by his uncle who wanted to, you know, take over. He was oh, absconded right. so was like away. Coup. Yeah, it was a coup. In fact, you're going to read. I mean, basically the entire history of like England and Scotland between the 15th and 16th century was just... Just like incestuous coup after coup. All the time. Like yeah. we talk about Mary Queen of Scots, known as golfing. Wait till you hear like how her husband died. I mean, it's just insane how much stuff. And so basically, you know, I have some sympathy for him because he literally watched his father die in front of him. And... About four years just later, like, that was just kind of like a Tuesday back then. Well, it was kind of—I mean, it was a big deal. It was a definitely a big deal, and they went out and they hid out, you know, escaped, and then eventually there was a, you know, some consolidation. But it of is power. very George Martin esque. Yeah, it was very. There was a consolidation of power, and he was brought back to Edinburgh Castle. He was the king at this time, at ten years old, and he was then introduced to his cousins. It was a, basically a like a. Uh, basically these are like sons of that uncle and this was supposed to be the you know the basically a dinner of like you know we're all back and we're all a good family again except the people that were you know basically caring for him had actually done a setup and the two cousins that he met that were like 13 and 16 at the time were then taken away and beheaded in the courtyard right after dinner, apparently to King James II's like why you know wailing you know cries of like please don't kill my new friends. So I have a little bit of sympathy for this guy about not understanding about you know the simple joys of just playing golf when you literally are just seeing your friends and family murder each other. He's probably always just like looking over his shoulder, who's going to kill me next? Yeah, exactly. And actually, what was interesting is that he understood you know, the value of archery because, you know, the Scotsmen of of that era were very much a part of the King of England's army. They would, conscripted troops would be sent along with the King of England and not too much earlier than 1457. It was like in like, a, I think, four, uh, uh, a key turning point in the war was in 1415 when King Henry brought an army of about half men-at-arms or knights and one half archers, and they met against a army of the French that was double in their size. They didn't have as many archers, and most of their archers were also crossbowmen, which were more of a close-quarter weapon. And in that uh, war, uh, they, they, they called it really the turning point of all future wars because the artillery of the longbow, which was this really long bow, almost uh, six feet tall, and, you know, allegedly required about 100 to 120 pounds of um, pull. Yeah, Yeah, torque. Yeah, I mean, that's difficult to pull. And that's one of the reasons why you had to practice it all the time, because if you weren't... You needed to develop those muscles. Basically had to work out. You basically had to work out. So they talked about that battle as being as, as a turning point. Now, in 1457, it's a good 40 years later, when King James made this edict, um, there really was, it was almost the beginning of a time of peace. And so you can understand a little bit of, of why the townspeople were wanting to do it. But as I did a little bit more research, I began to look at this connection because golf and football, this is the first mention of golf with a G. So are you familiar with kind of other older sports that may have been around that are like golf? 
Have you ever heard of them? No. So the, there's there's two specific sports that that this um, origin comes from. One is called judomal, and judomal was played in France. I suppose also croquet. Yeah. So croquet is judomal, kind of done in a small court. But judomal is basically game of the the male or game of the mallet. And it was played over fairly long distances, but it was played like croquet. So you're hitting a ball into a hoop and the hoop was put at kind of long distances. And a lot of times it would be played on like country roads. So it was like croquet over long distances. Mm. And eventually that game shrunk to be played in like a nice grassy field in the back of your estate. Sure. Okay. Another game that was, and that game was alleged to have been picked up by the knights or the armies in England that were traveling around in France during the Hundred Years' War. They would go around and then they would see this game would be played. And not to say these armies weren't, you know, just out there having fun playing games, but they would have been kind of interacting with people that were playing these games. And certainly people that were in nobility were playing these games and then intermarrying and going across the border. So another game that was... Um, so wait, from from the outset of like historical games that related to golf, they existed at the nobility level. At the nobility level, but also really at the level of just the people as well. So it wouldn't have been just the nobility, but it was also like, let's... But it wasn't a democratic process. <laughs> well, it was basically... So, I mean, that's also a, a really... A, a good it's a really good point that you bring up like what is it about games specifically target games that is part of like what everyone would play and i would tend to say if you think about the a real simple target game the simplest target game you can imagine is just like hey i bet you i can throw this rock throw this rock at that stop sign but you can skip it five times exactly i bet you i can do this river. thing and that's really what a target game is about it's yeah. about a one-on-one -on -one contest or bet between another person that you can do something better and pretty much yeah. the target element of what it means to be human is is really core to hunting and warfare when malcolm gladwell talks about um you know david and goliath in his book david and goliath he's talking about the achievement of david who is a slingshot thrower to be able to put down a large knight who is goliath because david is able to you know throw a projectile at lethal velocity well, at a at a so at a far at a at a faraway distance let's talk about this for a second so like i imagine in ancient in ancient sport variations of things like football or rugby or um, even baseball, basketball, just just ancient variations of those types of sports, they're much more democratized because you don't need anything to be good at them. That's right. right. The melee and the melee games were essentially known, in fact, as games of were, the commoners because it was also super violent so if you were these given, games were very these games were very, much more violent as much as as much as technology is a part of golf today i feel like even in its croquet form <laughs> you know uh 500 600 years ago technology was still a part of that thing and 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 technology even as it does today probably came at a cost then 
right? So like if you wanted oh, to yes. play this, what is this thing? This French variation of croquet. Yeah, jeu de mal. Like jeu de mal, right? Having- so you want to be good at jeu de mal. You have to like engage with your local woodsmith to make you this badass croquet mallet. That you probably couldn't use for any other purpose. And it probably took that guy a week to make it. Right, which is actually an interesting... So this is now where I'm going to bridge to other things because there was another game called Kolf which came from oh, yeah. um, the Netherlands I've heard and you talk Dutch. About this, yeah. So Kolf was a game which was similar, although it was oftentimes played on ice. And in fact, old uh, Dutch paintings often depict people playing Kolf on ice. And really? Kolf is also considered the origin of hockey. And so they would play on ice and they would end up hitting into holes in the ice. You know what you should do? We should have like a Twitter account that we post like, a great post would be like little images image of, of this, that thing. Yeah. So like you can reference it and be like, yeah. if you, if you want, check yeah. out the Twitter account, we're going to post this photo. Right. That's what Colf was. Well, in the Colfing and the, the Colf, by the way, means club. So it literally translates into club. Jeu de mal means game of the mall or mallet. And so similarly, it's like game of the mallet club. They're playing club. There is a ball and golf, if you look at the early golf sticks, they essentially kind of look like a hybrid between a hockey stick and a golf club. They're basically a, a fairly long stick with kind of a rounded, almost like a field hockey stick, but a little bit elongated. And golf was played on the ice, and it's known to have traveled to Scotland. It was a fairly popular game in this time period. And it would have likely have been played in Scotland. And Judemal was also potentially being brought back a little bit maybe more by nobility. And, you know, you have this amalgamation. And then there's a third part, too, which comes up, which I believe is also important, which is hurling or shinty. And hurling is the ancient Gaelic-Irish game. Shinty yeah. is the Scottish sort of hybrided version of it. Sure. And actually, I will show you here in a moment when you this is definitely these are definitely melee games. Well, I know I know hurling a little bit from um, my my days working at a bar in uh, in South Boston in the middle of Irishville uh, uh, in Boston. So there was we sponsored hurling teams and I know what a hurl looks like. A hurl looks like a dangerous weapon. Yeah. And, and it looks like it resembles a club. I could see the resemblance. But it's scary. It's more like a hatchet made out of wood. I mean, well, in fact, the ancient Gaelic prince that's famous for having killed the guard dog with his hurl, like, you know, shooting his hurling ball into this guard dog and killing it. And yeah. and really, it's pretty well known that it was essentially warfare training and it was super violent. It was not a game that they would have at the clock. They would actually play for all day or even days at a time sure it was definitely a way to settle like any beef you had with another town like <laughs> let's play hurling and really you know take each so other what do you want to show me so i'm going to show you shinty though because shinty is so they have this this, ma- this is actually a shinty versus hurling so the irish players have their hurling sticks which is The way I describe it is, yeah, it's a little bit like an axe. It's basically like a very, you know, maybe a three and a half, um, maybe four foot, probably three and a half foot, but then it's got a paddle at the end. Whereas a shinty stick 
looks like an elongated sort of half baseball, half hockey stick, half golf club. It's Well, those are three halves, but they all kind of go together to make a shinty. And I'm going to go ahead here and play it. We're going to see if that it's cool. going to come through. Try it. I'll do this again here. This is... All right, so, so this is Shinty. So this is Shinty. This is Stephen McDonald. Watch this. Watch this swing. That's a golf swing. That's a golf swing. So so this that I that looks like okay. So now I'm watching the game. Looks like soccer nets on either side of the field. There's right. like goalposts. So I'm looking at a pitch or like what a rugby field or American football field or a soccer field might look at. These guys got oh my god. <laughs> uh, these guys got more or less what Americans would call like field hockey sticks, and they're taking full ass golf swings at this oh, they're ball. Go- wait, they're gonna show he broke his stick here. Wow. So it looked like that person that took that full golf swing might have been like a like a goalie or something. Almost like well, it was out of bounds. I think it was like, like a punt a, or like an out of bounds shot. Yeah, or it was something. an out of bounds shot. I mean, that's like throwing the ball in. Yeah, watch it again. Yeah. Oh, look at that follow like through. I mean, it's, it's like a, a chip shot. Yeah, it was like a beautiful like Bre- way over the top. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we could talk about his shinty swing, you know, and, and I wonder actually if there are shinty swing coaches. Yeah. But the point that I'm making here is that, you know, when they talk about football, they were they were also playing shinty. It's an ancient game, much more ancient than even like when we think about football, you know, shinty and hurling were, and it was known by another Gaelic name like Commandish, I so think. So you're saying is what these called. sports existed before the mid 14th yeah 1400s. before the romans came i mean these sports shinty? were being sh- yeah th- well shinty before the romans came hurling definitely was so the shinty stick what my basically my hypothesis is this is that hurling is the original ancient gaelic game so what shinty, was a hur- what was a ball the hurling ball the, bur- the hurling ball actually looks just like a baseball so what are they making out of they make it out of the same thing that they make baseballs out of. They basically, you know, it's like a like a wooden pill like, like with steer, covered like in steer hunt, yeah, like covered in covered in wool and then stu- stuffed with wool or feathers and then, you know, wrapped in hide. My hypothesis is this is they were playing hurling forever. They were then getting golf clubs that were coming from the Netherlands. Golf. K O L F. Golf. And then they kind and of. And this is the name of the stick that. They and this used is to the name of the stick, and it, and and golf means club. Yeah. And then, in my opinion, when okay. they banned golf, what they were really saying is that they were banning some game that was using a club. Whether or not it was right. actually the golf that we know it today. So what if like is golf, a question. the word golf was like a typo in the annals of history? It could have been a typo for sure. <laughs> yeah. It also, though, could have been just old English word because they didn't want to use like Gaelic words to describe the club. And so they were sure. using a term that they were more familiar with. They were using like an English version. So like a lost in translation. Yeah, kind of a lost scenario. in translation scenario. But also now here's where it gets super interesting. And this is actually where I believe the the origin of golf comes from more than any. And there's a couple of, of different things is that they were practicing archery and they were also playing football and they were playing golf or golf or, or shinty or whatnot. 
but more or less their jobs. But they're more or less their jobs. Practicing archery. Is. But practicing archery is what they're supposed to be doing. And their leisure is now, these now, athletic now, endeavors. I've got a question for you. Imagine you are a longbowman in ancient Scotland. Hmm. How do you practice? I guess like I just envision like Robin Hood scenarios. <laughs> like you're, you're, you've got like a bay of hail across a field and there's just a line of dudes that are all like cadets in the, in the army and, and you're just firing bows across the, across the field right. for we, at least, you know, two hours in the morning, well, two like, hours in the afternoon. What's the like, distance? I imagine the distance being fairly short, maybe a hundred meters or less. Well, a hundred meters isn't short. Okay. Well, I think that that would be relatively short. Let's talk about it in yards. No, let's talk about in yards. I don't want to talk about meters. I can't. Honestly, I can't <laughs> well, think in meters. So, so 100 meters is like 120 yards? Do you think that's short? 10%? So 110 yards? I mean, could you even see a... a t- I mean, dude, that's a that's a sand wedge. <laughs> I mean, it's short in terms of golf. But it's so, also short in terms of archery. No way. If you go to an indoor archery, like if you were to go do like um, Japanese, like Zen archery, or you were to go to an indoor archery range, the distances okay. so, are more like a so hundred feet. So maybe I'm seeing maybe I'm seeing in my head more more like a field that has different targets at different ranges right but like out, up to up to 100 meters 100 yards yeah something like that well and that would make sense because we talked about the kind of warfare they were doing and where were you were you shooting your arrow at the target or what where were you pointing the arrow when you shoot oh absolutely i mean there's probably i, I, I mean you're shooting you're pointing straight at you're pointing straight <laughs> I'm at seeing no 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 like there's some there's a lot of like natural physics calculations that are happening that are probably unbeknownst to these people that are practicing this archery. But yeah, the concepts of like, where's the wind coming from? The concepts of like, what kind of angle do I need to, uh, the launch trajectory that I need to, you know. Yeah, what employ. kind of spin is my arrow or, gonna have? Is the arrow gonna have spin? Is, is this, is that, how, what's is the compression it, of this can arrow? I put, <laughs> can I put some juice on this thing? <laughs> can I put, put a little that's, jizz yeah, on this Yeah, that's thing? where I'm going with this. So what they would actually do is they would get into this area called the links that was open parkland, but it was designed, it was specifically used for archery practice, or supposed to be, and that's where the king was getting pissed because people were playing games instead of um, practicing their archery. And what they would do is they would have marks or oftentimes there would be a stick with a flag and they would set up at different distances because the number one thing that they're practicing is how to get their distance right. They're shooting as many as five to six arrows in a minute, right? Or, or even more. Their entire goal, if there's a cavalry charging you, is to understand when and what trajectory to shoot your arrow so that they land at a piercing all- velocity yeah. at that charging infantry or cavalry at the right time so that your arrows land in the moving, field of fire. Moving targets. Those are moving targets, but ultimately similar, you know. It's There's ba- marksmen. It, yeah, it's basically more than anything what they were doing is like, f- they were focusing a little bit on short term, but they're focusing a lot on just distance control and also they were learning about how to shoot in different terrain so what would it be like to shoot at a target that's like over the crest of a hill or if you're at the top of a hill and the target is at the bottom of the hill now this game also evolved so as i read a little bit more about ancient scotland and and this also flows into england and ireland as well it's got to be catapults too (laughs) 
Well, there were catapults. There were other types of siege weapons that existed. But ultimately, like, longbows were really effective and relatively, again, inexpensive to, like, King Henry, when he was at that battle, he had, like, 6,000 archers. That is a lot of archers. I mean, what are what are the rest of the guys doing? What if you're not an archer? What are you just like a grunt? No, you well you're like a you're sword? a knight. You've got a sword. Yeah, you've got a shield. I mean, you're oh, you're the you've real deal. Okay. Yeah, you're you're basically so so the common man was the archer. Was the archer? Yeah, the nobility was the knight. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, they were not. I mean, at some level, being an archer might have an air of nobility, and there may have been some so no- nobles from like Scotland, for example, that would bring that they would like lead the archers and be that. But true nobility was wearing their armor. <laughs> so They're not it, out there. So with was a knight. Those. Is a knight sitting there behind his armor, going, "Go play your golf, commoner." <laughs> so they <laughs> look down my shield on you. <laughs> yeah. They were definitely like, you know, supposed to be practicing, but one of the things that they would start to do, and there's actually a type of archery called field archery that follows in this tradition, is that because they had to all bring their bows to church on Sunday, I mean, which is another interesting thing. Like, you're all like, we're all going to practice <laughs> war after church. You know, it's- In the uh, name of God. I guess it's better than going to Bed Bath & Beyond, though. So you're like, okay, we're going to, you know, you're supposed to bring your bow to church. And so what would happen is- townspeople because they would have to walk a fair while like i mean we're talking probably miles potentially or more than miles even you know or many to miles to church to church sure so yeah they, so easily they bow slung so they would meet shoulder. yeah well they would wearing would, their sunday best. Well, they would meet up like we would all meet our families are walking together and then we'd start betting along the way of how you're going to perform that day well no let's no i bet you let's hit that tree up there oh let's are walking why you were walking to church Sure. Let's start, you know, creating see that a game. Apple on that tree? Yeah, see that apple on that tree? I bet you can hit that apple on that tree, you know, and then you start, <laughs> you know, you can imagine too about, you know, you're going to have to give all the money to the priest anyway. So I guess you might as well gamble it all away. <laughs> it's all going to the same place. So you start to develop this sort of walking game with your target game for fun. That's pure fun. That's not about military practice. It's really cool. Cool. It's a picture in your head, right? Yeah. I mean, basically, if you think about it- You can see it. Yeah, you can see it. And you can almost figure at times we almost like develop good targets. But it doesn't have to be that example of like you walking alongside another family to church. It can be, you know, teenagers after school dicking around. Right. And, and, and probably all, you know, they, they were all like teenagers and old men were all doing this too. I mean, they sure. were all, they were all doing this. And so then when you go a little bit deeper into it, you find there's a game called clout archery. Now cloud archery is considered, again, it kind of comes from the Netherlands, but it's known to be played in England and Scotland as well. And it's still played to this day. And clout archery is long distance archery. Clout is a Norwegian or Swedish word meaning flag. They have a stake, a stick, that's out in a field. The flag is on top, but it's connected by a rope to the base of the stick. The goal is to shoot your arrows as close as you can to the flag, and then you pull the flag off, and it's marked by different colored like cloth. So the rope is sort of the red part that's like 18 inches long. And then the blue part, which is, you know, three feet long. And you basically create, it's like a giant dartboard. Oh, oh, that's sweet. So you like stretch it out and you see how far away your, your, exactly. your arrow landed. Uh, that's pretty sweet. That actually reminds me of a sport that's kind of popular here and in other areas like Denver, 
uh, frisbee golf is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's like frisbee golf. Well, frisbee golf is really. I mean, frisbee golf is in its essence golf. You're just using a frisbee. I mean, a different it, medium. And but ultimately, you can imagine then at that point probably what was happening, and this is where I think the real origin of golf comes because people talk about it as like you know shepherds hitting a little ball and they hit into the hit it into some rabbit hole or something which by the way were a big part of the links and there were a lot of rabbits around there and there would have been rabbit holes around so there was probably some element to that but when you combine knowing that there's a good chance that they may have had their hurling sticks or their shinty sticks kind of hidden behind when they're going to go play later but they need to kind of continue to like play clout archery because that's kind of what they're supposed to be doing. Sure. You can imagine at some point somebody drops a ball and is like practicing their shooting, their goal shooting. And they're while they're doing clout. While they're doing clout. Yeah. And they're just like, you know what? I bet you can I can hit this hey, hey, I, the I can hit the stick. ball the closer than the, the arrow. Like you you're you're not you're so bad at archery. Look, I can hit this ball closer. Got the and they're like, oh, I can the hit back, the ball closer. In the back of the wagon. Yeah. Uh, let's pull that thing out and let's uh yeah. I bet you I can get it closer. Yeah, so I look at it as like where the origin of golf is has this element where it's uh, super connected to warfare, just like the melee games are. It also actually has an origin in the common people that were also, you know, playing these games because the archers were the commoners. And, um, you know, it was later because it was banned. I think it probably like a lot of things in life had a greater appeal. You know, the more it was banned, people are like, let's play golf, you know, (laughs) Um, especially because. Again, people were playing on, which was also interesting because it had this culture of playing on Sundays and, you know, other early records of golf are basically people being admonished for playing golf on Sundays, right? So that, I mean, that became a big thing of, you know, being, having to go in and repent in front of God for playing golf on Sundays. You know, I look at that, that origin story as really... Lord, I've been whacking the feathery. Forgive me, God. Yeah. Well, and then also, as we're going to talk about in the, as I, as like, I want to explore further in like talking about the links, you know, when you combine field archery or walking in distances to go for different targets, cloud archery, which has this concept of a flag, a stick and a flag. But then you also have the fact that golf is illegal. So you need to like get out of sight, but you have this long expanse of Linksland where there's People, nothing. Where's nothing's out there. Nobody cares about that. And stuff. and you start just kind of going out further and further. It's like the dead zone. Yeah, and you can go out there and bring a bottle of whiskey with your friends and and entertain yourself by playing this new game we call golf. Totally. And I think that and also, you know, the fact that it wasn't as violent added. And that's actually what's interesting too because you've played football, you've played basketball. Is golf exciting? Golf is the worst sport for me personally like at a at a a competitive uh, from a competitive perspective it's like the worst sport that i've ever played right what you mean infuriating my my talent your talent level my talent isn't is you know but i started playing football baseball other sports that are team sports you know from the time that i was like four years old right and didn't pick up golf until i was in my late 20s but um I have a passion for golf unlike I ever had for my number one and number two sports. Really? Absolutely. There's a there's a there's an element 
that's so human about golf and like your individual walk through life. So for golf, it's like there is nothing, there's no other sport that I've ever encountered that I've had a passion for that is like really a mark of the measure of a man. Like you get out of golf what you put into golf in in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, also you, you add into the element like, Golf is kind of meditative in its individual pursuit. Um, well, it's a game too where, I mean, I'm, I love practice and I love my, I mean, one of my favorite things to do after work, especially a challenging day at work is go to the driving range and just hit balls. So in the team environment, I was less aware of my, my shortcomings as an athlete Hmm. because it wasn't my job to worry and focus about my shortcomings in my game as a baseball player or a football player because there were other facets and people on my team that were there pick up the slack for the purpose and, yeah. of filling the holes in my game right with strengths in theirs so you know my, in my personal example of baseball and football like speed and power were like a really big part of my game but like in baseball, my ability to be a defender and fielding and my arm strength, like those were largely not there. But there was other people on the team that could pick up that slack for me and it would kind of hide my deficiencies. In golf, all of your deficiencies are very visible and evident in and evidenced in your Well, you hit every shot. Your, every shot. Yeah, that you, you hit. own every shot. And yeah. and and just having one single weakness, whether it's chipping or driving or you know mid irons or long irons whatever it is you will be exposed if not every hole like at least three four five six times around and that was what was really interesting about watching this um the skins match that was in japan this week was that it's very rare that we tune into golf coverage and we get to see an entire round of an individual player from start to finish and see the human aspect of these like largely immortal people to us. Mm. And when you see Tiger Woods struggle through three or four hole stretch where he goes bogey, 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 you're like, I play golf like that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and then you see him go on stretches of just kind of making, you know, uh, tap in pars and you're like I do that too you know like they, of course they separate themselves um, in their consistency well you know they're they're not throwing up uh, ochos and nueves on, on well on yeah holes, I, I think I think PGA Tour golf is actually both the more you play the more you can appreciate how good they are both on the PGA Tour or the LPGA Tour the Champions Tour even just their lag putting is just so Ah, oh, just so good. They're hitting to two to three feet from like 40, 50, 60 feet consistently. Yeah. It's just so amazing. You know, then you throw in the chipping and the mid iron. What's interesting is like mid iron games. I bring this up all the time with you. I mean, any time that you and I hit a mid iron to inside 15 feet, that's tour level. Pro shot. And you and I do yeah. that. I wouldn't say we, we certainly don't do it as much as a pro does, but we do it a fair amount. We have other major deficiencies in our game. We have other parts of our game which are not even 
which, well, which which you never see on the PGA Tour because when we do things like that, we're very happy with the result. Yeah, we're also, that would just be like a result. I think a PGA Tour player would be pretty stoked about fifteen feet away. I don't I don't think that they. I think they could maybe get a little. I think they, that's their expectation. I don't even have an expectation to hit the green. I think they're also having a higher expectation to drain a 15-footer. If I'm a mid-iron, like literally, if I'm like a 7, 8, 6, 5 iron, something like that, and I'm 15 feet from the pin, regardless of what what the club is in my mid-iron selection, I'm really stoked to just hit the green, make a nice divot. I'm really happily fixing that divot. I'm thrilled. I'm super happy. Right. There's, there's some like, there's some, there's some feeling, there's some feels going on. Taking a lot of mental pictures. (laughs) I think that's the other part about golf, which is different and really beautiful is that while you can hide behind the team a little bit with your deficiencies in golf, more than I think in other team sports, you also get all the credit, Mm -hmm. right? When when it really comes down to Absolutely. like having that clutch shot that gets super tight, you did it. And there's something about owning that moment that is, you know, I, I, I would say the closest thing to it, and you played baseball at a high level, is the baseball player at the plate against the pitcher. Yeah. Now, the pitcher is throwing ideally, you know, nasty stuff. And so if you consider the pitch sort of the the golf course right the pitch is sort of like the pitcher is 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 dishing yeah you just got to be prepared for what's being thrown at you and and there's really a lot of times not much that you can do to be prepared for it right and it's it's a reactive thing as opposed to of course the golf ball which is just sitting there which i think walking up to a random golf club is not that different i mean you you have to be prepared for just about anything you know within reason you're not going to go to a golf course and there's going to be a seven yard 700 yard par four right you know that there's not going to be a 50 yard par three but uh, like just on the other end of the spectrum but you know within reason what you can expect and you know within probably within reason what you can expect from weather and just like when I go to the plate and I'm facing a pitcher, I know that I can face an, a whole spectrum of different movements and motions and action from a pitcher. But within reason, you know, I'm, I'm looking for my sweet spot. Like, where can I excel? Where can I not excel? And I have to stay within myself, right? So, like, I can't go up to the plate every time expecting to hit dingers. I'm trying to make solid contact. Choosing your pitches. And choosing my pitches. Well, in golf, it's like that, too. When you start playing golf properly, in fact... I would say that that's something that a lot of golfers struggle with is understanding really where their game is. Remember when I was playing the front at Tri-Mountain mm. and all of a sudden I started hitting punch eight irons from about 120 yards, 125 yards yeah. and I just all of a sudden hit three shots in a row that were, beautiful. That were like, yeah, within 15 feet. Totally. And I was just like, I remember on the last one, I was just about to, you know, I pulled my wedge or I think I think I was like 132, and so I was like kind of like okay, it's like a big wedge or maybe a light nine, and then I was like, what am I doing? Why don't you just hit that punch eight again mm-hmm. and just like laser it up there, and boom again, 15 feet, and I think that was the birdie putt that I drained. That was yeah. uh, eight, and I drained yeah. that. I had three great opportunities where I made one out of three. You know, going back to your original question about like my relationship to team sports like baseball and golf or so baseball and football in my relationship now with golf is that one of the things in my competitive baseball career that I, that I hold the closest that I remember the most and that I'm the most proud of is how I dedicated myself to getting better 
and reaped the benefits of it. And like over the course of like from from the time that I was like 21 or 22 until I was like 25 or 26, I had a dedicated focus on like fine tuning the art of my swing and my timing and my balance in baseball. Right. And fine tuning, focusing almost exclusively on my strengths and and also my weaknesses, but like really bringing my strengths to the forefront. Um, and in golf, when I transitioned and started picking up golf, it was like, it was like the art of like swing analysis and uh, self-improvement were things that I was really familiar with and enjoyed the pursuit of like personal self-improvement is right. like something in golf that is totally different in the way that you can actually tangibly like measure if you're inspired by this episode and you want to take some of the lessons you've learned to the golf course this is a little segment i call unsolicited advice when you're thinking about golf as a target game you're oftentimes at the range and there's a photo that i'll share in which an archery range and a golf range are very similar in appearance. One of my favorite ways to practice that I attribute to a significant reduction in my handicap, as many as two or three points, basically going from about a seven to sub five, was a drill that I call target practice. Target practice is a game where I use a single club, typically a seven, eight, or nine iron. And I will practice shots where my hands are going back to around eight or nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, and then maybe all the way up to a full shot. The purpose of this game is for me to get used to doing a sort of nine to three swing and then maybe going up a little bit further so the club is perpendicular, what a Ricky Fowler would call his um, holding an umbrella wedge shot. Those are the two shots that I work on. And I do those with a very specific target in mind. Now, at the golf range, there's usually a variety of targets, both long and short. So I would take one club, like a target shooter, I will use that club to aim at a target 30 yards away, 60 yards away, 90 yards away, 105 yards away. And I will go through a progression, essentially creating a random order in my own head. A lot of times I'll start with the closest distance and move up and then go back down. It's more important to work on the shorter distances than the longer ones. What you'll discover through playing target practice is that you only need one club. And if you play in a one club tournament like Drew and I love to do, then you're gonna get really good at hitting the target with this club in your hand. You'll be able to see what it's like to hit a finesse shot at the target versus a low bullet. And when the target is close, I'm serious, get the ball to the target. Don't just get it online. Get that ball to land very close to where you want it to go. If you practice this the next time you're at the range, you'll be blown away by how much 
that target practice can improve your entire game, your aim, as well as your contact. So play target practice and enjoy. Today's episode is inspired by my Leupold Rangefinder, made here in Portland, Oregon. American craftsmen making innovative, battle-proven optics for the world's most resilient golfers. Hashtag be relentless.